Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. StringCan Interactive is a digital marketing agency that accelerates the growth of businesses dedicated to wellness and well-being. StringCan Interactive creates a brilliantly focused digital strategies with world-class implementation. Services include persona development, marketing roadmaps, content marketing, media planning and buying, and more. Sarah designs and improves the processes and structures that enable StringCan to deliver industry-leading solutions for their clients in the most fiscally disciplined manner. She's also a cultural curator at StringCan, where she ensures that the team can always be their best self at work and at home. For fun, Sarah enjoys her time teaching yoga, convincing others that green smoothies aren't scary, enjoying newlywed life, and binge-washing altered carbon, which I guess I have to check out. So Sarah, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Super what, excited. What is altered carbon about? Uh, so it's kind of like um, a sci-fi futuristic, uh, robotic, uh, ninja type show. <laughs> wow. Is it like the singularity? Is it like when, when the computers and humans are all merged? Yes. And it's so fascinating to see where people's minds go, if that is ever a possibility in the world, uh, <laughs> what that might look like. And it's it's believable and scary. <laughs> well, I will I will check it out. I'm I'm nearing the start of a new up or a new season of something, so I'll check that one out. So, so tell us a little bit about StringCan. What do you guys do exactly, just so that we all understand? Yeah, of course. So you know, digital marketing uh, is a pretty interesting realm. People have all kinds of things that come to mind when they think about digital marketing. You know, whether that's websites or PPC or um, you know Google Ads, whatever that may be. So. We basically help businesses get found online to be super simplistic about it. So our clients come to us and they're looking for help. Um, And it comes from a place of either they're not getting found or they're just not focused um, or they're just kind of lost and they can be brand new businesses or even existing businesses that have kind of lost their way online. Um, Because as you know, there's so much out there, it's kind of unreal to keep up with. It's pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you find yourself needing someone that's an expert in helping you navigate this ever-changing world, which is part of what I love about uh, digital marketing. And so do you have specific niches that you're kind of deep into or experts into, or do you have, are you just kind of all things digital? You mean on on the service side? Yeah. Yeah. Our bread and butter, like something that we really excel at and that we find our clients really value and it helps them in the future, which a lot of agencies either don't do or um, don't invest the time and money that we do. And it's strategy. And it's a really tough thing to quantify, you know, your ROI on strategy um, but we have a really robust process and whether the client sticks with us on a recurring basis or not, they end up using the strategy for the long long term um, and it helps them understand their clients better than they ever have. Mm. It's part of our process is uh, secret shopping, which we really love. <laughs> That's smart. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Where do you um, get, where do you get your clients? 
You know, a lot of them are referral based. I don't know if you uh, have ever met Jay Feitlinger, um, but he's, Mm -hmm. he's pretty, (laughs) he's just really awesome in this space. And he talks to people in a way that they, they understand why this is important. Uh, because it's important to us to help our clients. So a lot of businesses find success and they're like, wow, you heard about StringCan. Um, and so we end up meeting with them and they find us to be very relatable and friendly and we get the job done. Not to say that other agencies don't do that, but there's something about helping those, especially like family owned businesses or um, entrepreneurial types. They mm-hmm. really get it because Jay is an entrepreneur through and through. And so he gets where they are. Um, and so they speak his language and he speaks theirs. And it's just a great relationship from the start. Um, so often it's, uh, hey, have you heard of so-and-so? And so <laughs> we get a lot of referral business, which is a great thing. And, and that is your niche then? Is it the mom and pops? Is it the smaller businesses, smaller entrepreneurial companies? Is the your target client? Um, It's an SMB. So we have a couple of larger clients. So it's really about the persona for us. Um, You know, there's the person who's trying to get out there, they're trying with their one, two person marketing team, and they're just at their wits end, which is most entrepreneurs, they're trying to do everything. (laughs) including running their marketing department and they're finding themselves failing miserably um, or just totally overwhelmed. And so uh, we really like helping those kinds of clients. And then there are other clients that are a little bit more sophisticated um, that really push us. So they'll ask for services or we'll provide strategy for new and exciting things and they're willing to try it, which is awesome. That's cool too. I had a a client that I coached for a number of years for about six years. And they, I think at the time they probably had about 250 employees. They had a marketing budget of about a million dollars a year and they had an $80,000 director of marketing spending it. And I was like, you know, I don't think they know what they're doing. And, um, and the CEO doesn't have the time to coach them, nor does the CEO know what they're doing to spend a million dollar budget. I said, I think you need to get like $50,000 a year of coaching, like four or five grand a month of like coaching and direction for your director of marketing, like get like an outside CMO to tell them what to work on so that they can then execute on it and maybe spend 950,000 on marketing instead of a million. And they actually went even heavier than that. They they went for about like $150,000 in strategy and plan work with kind of companies like you and then let the director of marketing implement an $850,000 budget and they knocked the cover off the ball. That's awesome advice. When it's, it's an interesting niche, right? Like, so do you do you guys do that as well, where you're coaching teams, or are you coming in as the kind of consultant and working with them, or is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. We work really, really well with other agencies. So if someone has an existing agency and let's say they're specializing in, uh, you know, maintaining their website and they really want to do ads, but perhaps this other agency doesn't. Some of them are pretty niche where they don't uh, like to diversify. So we're really easy to work with and we really enjoy working with other agencies because we want to make it easy on the client. Once they're managing more than one agency, they, you don't want them to scratch their head and go, gosh, I just, I don't understand what's happening here. Um, so that's something we're uh, really proud of. And then there are the others that just kind of need the help. Like, can we, we could do everything for them. And so instead of doing everything, let's focus on what's really going to move the, the needle and make your life easier because that's the last thing we want to do is make a CMO's life harder. Sure. So, <laughs> which is 
there's a lot <laughs> to do. <laughs> how, did, how did you get involved with String Ken? Um, I actually moved back to Arizona about five years ago now. And I was um, staying with my parents. My dad was recovering from cancer surgery. And so it was actually kind of a good time to be back and help out my family. And I saw this job posting for String Can. And at the time, it was a part-time executive assistant to the CEO. And I read through the job description. And I had just come out of building code legislation. And so this sounded exciting to me. I would never really been in digital marketing before. I didn't even have a Facebook account at the time, <laughs> which we still joke about now. How did I get hired without a Facebook account? But uh, it ended up being the perfect fit. Jay and I really clicked right off the bat. And it was just a really great partnership from the start. Um, and I have to say, for a lot of COOs, I think one of the most valuable things for me getting to this place was being his assistant and really understanding what makes him tick and then what he really needs help on. And then kind of learning from the back end, you know, where you're being, the, if you're, <laughs> what did you say? You said it. If you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. Yeah. If you don't have and an assistant, really, I, I laughed. One. That was a great statement. I was like, there it is. Like, I think he doesn't realize at that moment, but that's exactly what had happened. Mm. So he needed that to move forward and to be the best CEO and visionary that he could be. Yeah. It's, it's a huge partnership. And I've, I've, I was telling someone this morning that the first thing a CEO or an entrepreneur needs to do is hire an executive assistant before they hire the second in command. The second in command should come afterwards. But so how, how many people in the organization now? So we've got about 10 to 12, uh, staff, and then we've got several independent contractors and partners that we use, um, across the country. And we are growing. We actually just hired someone uh, right around Valentine's Day. And so she's had a really wild ride the last couple of months. Welcome to the company. <laughs> See you never. See you maybe. <laughs> right. So ha I think she's actually been out of the office working remote more than she's been with us um, in person. <laughs> and so you guys, are you guys an, an office-based company then? Or do you have some people remote as well? We are office-based. We do you know, offer flexible working environments for everyone, which, you know, we're still, we're now transitioning on our back to work plan. It's one of my big focuses for the next couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that goes with whatever's happening. You know, it's just day to day for right now, but for the most part, we uh, work in the office because we really enjoy the environment with each other and um, it's just like a family. It's a really fun group to be around and we work right in old town Scottsdale. So they're oh, nice. definitely worse, worse places to work. <laughs> yeah. Great, great area. My, uh, my old house was in Arcadia and I've got a new place that's right, right near old town. It's a nice. perfect area. Yeah. So, so talk to me about what it was that, that attracted you to come and come into string cam. What was it about Jay that you liked as the CEO? And then how have you guys worked to build that relationship as the CEO and COO? Yeah. Jay is incredible. He's, He's the most amazing boss I've, I've ever had. He's really the most amazing mentor um, ever. He's super generous with his time and his resources. He never gets um, frustrated by questions. He's very growth-oriented with the person. Um, he's not selfish at all. He's the most generous person 
uh, and he, mm. he loves Christmas. <laughs> and so it's always funny around that time of year. He's just, he goes hog wild. So being the fiscally responsible person that I am, I gotta, I got, I got my work cut out for me around the holidays. Right. We're running back in. How, yeah. do you, how do you divide and conquer roles and responsibilities between the two of you? What, um, what reports to you and what reports to him right now? Yeah, actually, we've been continuously revising and transitioning our processes, especially when it comes to people and accountabilities. So for actually, it was about eight months after I started, I went to him and I said, hey, uh, I really love it here at String Can and I want to be COO someday. And he was like, okay, part-time assistant, like, you know, sounds good. Go ahead and make a plan, make a five-year plan for it. I said, okay. So I made the plan and he continuously checked in with me on it. Now, how are you doing? What do we need to do? Do you need resources, tools, um, whatever it is? And so I, on my own, went out uh, about a year and a half ago and hired a business coach. Mm. And I've just been obsessively growing and learning and just trying to figure out everything that I possibly can about this business. And something that really popped for him and I were, um, have you heard of the Entrepreneurial Organizational System, EOS? Uh I know Gina Wickman, who wrote the book quite well. I know EOS very well. I know yes. one of the top implementers in the world is based in Scottsdale as well, and we're good friends, Michael Eroth. Yes, so Michael's protege, Scott, is our implementer. Awesome, great. Yes, um, shout out to, to Scott for sure, Elser. And so we took the test, the visionary integrator test, and it was pretty funny. I was really you know high 80s on the integrator, and Jay surprisingly was high 80s on both. Okay. And so that's where, I, that's where I fall as well. Very, very high on the CEO and CEO side. But you know, what's funny is what do you like to do out of those right. things? So right. the last time he took it, um, they had resent the test, the crystallizer assessment. So we redid it last week and he goes, you know, I think about this in terms of servicing our clients. The parts where I score high in the integrator are what I like to do on the client side, but it's not what he loves to do on the business side. So for me, it was really just taking things off of Jay's plate and really asking for forgiveness versus permission. And I was pretty careful about it, but there were things where I thought, you know, I know he's not doing this because he doesn't love to do it. And I really want to do this. I'm hungry to do it. So I had enough confidence, if you want to call it that, and just took it on. And he started giving me more, seeing how it was working. And it kind of was a natural split, which, uh, you know, I don't really know how common that is for the visionary integrator split to happen where I'm operating the operations and the business and he's running the vision. So this last year we fully transitioned where I am now the full on integrator and I'm managing the leadership team when it comes to solving problems. I'm, you know, managing to the PNL and working toward accountability on all of those goals that we've got going on, pretty aggressive goals. And then Jay's really focused on helping them strategize and see their vision for their department, their people, um, right. and their clients. And so it's a, we're still both having one-on-ones with them, but they're very focused and they're very different topics. That's great. So, yeah. yeah you're, really, you're finding your path with that. I love that you guys have, um, have found EOS and that you're putting it into the organization too, that we've got, I'd say probably about a third of our members of the COO Alliance would use EOS. Um, I'd say probably another third probably use scaling up and then the other third just are bumbling their way trying to find some systems to put in and they don't really use like one overall. They're kind of taking best practices from, from lots. But I love EOS when you, I think when you get to like 
50 to 70 employees, it starts to break down a little bit and you need a little bit more mature, bigger systems, but it's fantastic for the, uh, the small to medium business for sure. Yeah, it's, it was life-changing for us. We actually self-implemented for about a year. Mm -hmm. We had a really good system. Uh, we were doing annual planning meetings for two days. We'd had presentations and O and O obstacle and opportunity sheets and we're pretty organized on an obsessive level and especially goal oriented, but it was starting to become about 40 hours of work for each J and I. And it was just kind of like, there's gotta be a better way. This is, yeah. this is a lot of work for, for a two day meeting. Well, so awesome. EOS was. <laughs> it's, it's also really nice to bring in that outside expert. I always think about, you know, when I was growing up, I would have thought my parents were idiots. I probably would have thought your parents were amazing. You probably thought your mom was a jerk, but my mom would have been great. And it's like, it's, it, you don't really listen to your own parents, but you'll listen to your aunts and uncles. And I think there's something about that outside facilitator. If you bring in the one that fits your culture, that they can really work well. And it allows the leadership team to take a back seat and actually participate versus have to have your brain on running and facilitating as well. Right. Absolutely. That was one of the, the biggest ahas for us was, hey, man, facilitating this meeting is a lot. And I'm having a hard time you know, contributing, honestly, and yeah. trying to keep track of all the notes and same with Jay. So, um, you know, it was a really big decision for us to hire Scott. And it was like, wow, this is a this is a deep commitment. Are we ready to do this? And it, every meeting, it's unreal how much value mm. we are getting from this process and from Scott reeling us in. And he really gets us. I've interviewed a couple of um, implementers before we hired Scott, and I'm really glad uh, we went with him. He's just incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, I used to run a bunch of strategic planning sessions over near um, LGO, who anybody who's not from Scottsdale or Arizona won't know what we're talking about. But um, over near LGO, there's a place called uh, Royal, the Royal Arcadia Hacienda. And it's a 10 bedroom, five kitchen old mansion where two presidents have stayed and Liz Taylor has stayed. And it's very dated. It's almost like decorated from when they were here last. But it's this beautiful spread with palm trees and a pool and everybody gets, so I take in 10 people and they all stay in their own bedrooms. And then we run the two day sessions just in the living room and dining room there. It's a really cool place to just completely immerse. Um, oh, that's a great idea. I might have to borrow that for annual planning. <laughs> yeah, it's not, drop me an email. It's not that expensive either. The guy who, who the guy who owns it is actually a Canadian. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he does a great, it's a great space for running, you know, facilitated retreats out of. Um, so, what are you guys struggling with in terms of the digital space now? I mean, there's a bit of a roll up happening in the digital industry. There's specialization. Um, digital has changed so much in the last 10 years from 10 years ago, you could never find an expert. And now it's like, we're tripping over them. It seems, what are you seeing changing in the industry? What's, what are the obstacles that you're encountering growing the company? Oh, well, you know, part of it is, is finding when to pivot and when to pause. Um, so every, you know, we call this shiny object syndrome where, yeah. oh my gosh, this, this thing is so cool. You know, let's call it some sort of ad platform. Um, and so one, getting the experience on the ad platform where possibly there's, it's really tough for, for you to talk to the value of, you know, for example, blogs, it's really tough sometimes to talk to the value of organic traffic. Uh, when somebody's not clicking on something and making a purchase, clients seem to struggle a little bit with how does that fit into my overall strategy? And mm -hmm. um, 
And so it's kind of like these, let's call it an old fashioned type of marketing and it's really SEO. Okay. Well, you know, SEO is a really complicated, intricate system. Um, and so it's just so much more than that. And I guess part of it is people know enough to be dangerous, but you really want to help focus them. And so then getting their trust and then guiding them toward what makes the most sense for their business and their customers um, and continuously having to refine that messaging. So, you know, what worked six months ago is not going to work now. And that's partly because the algorithm changes. We've got to keep adjusting. And so part of the struggle is you cannot sit still in a digital agency. You cannot sit on your laurels and just rest. It's mm. not part of the deal. And so if you don't, if you don't enjoy that part of the role, then it's, it's not a good place for you. But if you love consistently having to pivot and provide different opportunities to your clients and then educate them, which is really important to us. We want them to know what's going on and what's new. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of a struggle, but for the most part, we enjoy the challenge. Jay in particular thrives on being thrown into the fire of some new opportunity. Um, and we are all gung ho with figuring it out. Because it counters the board and the entrepreneurs. Got the we, need, right. we need the new, new thing. Even if we don't need the new, new thing, we think we need the new, new thing. It's crazy. Right. It feeds our ADD. I've got, I have 17 of the 18 signs of attention deficit disorder. And my ex said that if I was paying attention when they did all the testing, it would have been 18 for 18. Um, <laughs> she's probably right too. <laughs> if I think one of the things that I've always been curious about is, you know, it's really tough to keep Gen Y in a company for more than two to three years, but Gen Y in the digital agency space are all wanting to go off and freelance and start their own darn companies or start freelancing. How do you keep them? How do you keep them engaged and happy and working within an organization when they feel like in often cases they're wrong? Um, <laughs> but how do you, when they feel like they can go off and just start their own company? You know, it's funny, um, Jay is so transparent in a really thoughtful way. Uh, people say that they're transparent, but it's like, well, maybe that's more TMI than transparency. <laughs> but he's really transparent with the way we run the organization, um, parts of our financials. You know, we always have our revenue goals on the board. It's in a formula, so nobody can decipher it on the fly. But People, I think, once they understand how much time, effort, work, blood, sweat, tears goes into running a company, they're like, wow, Jay's really, you know, Jay and Sarah and the team really take on a lot of that burden for me. And I think I have a lot more to understand if I want to run my own business. Hmm. Um, but I actually started a, a small yoga business, didn't take off. I was um, busy with other things at the time and took on too much, but Jay was really helpful with getting me to understand where I needed to go and uh, what to do next. And it, it was a little overwhelming at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm not the visionary type. And for me, that solidified. I like doing the implementing, the integrating and helping him see his vision because it's, it's not my unique ability. Um, yeah. And so even for myself, having that entrepreneurial spirit, it's like, okay, reality is it's not what I love. Um, and so I think people have a little bit of rose colored glasses when they want to do the entrepreneurial thing. And so Jay's very supportive with anyone's goals and dreams. And, um, you know, he'll tell them how to, how to get started and what to do. And we've never held anyone back for, for that reason. And we've had people grow and flourish and leave and stay. And, um, I think being flexible, pivoting, not just with your clients, but with your team, we are never the same 
type of team with the same goals and um, reward systems. Everything is constantly changing to adapt and adjust to what people need and want. Yeah, smart. You're really approaching it the right way. Can you talk about um, about how you find the right subcontractors? Because you said you've got some subcontractors that you work with, I think, or, or was it freelancers? What is mm-hmm. it outside of the normal employees? And then what's your process for? I've often found that companies you know, work really hard at interviewing and recruiting and selecting employees, which is actually the theme of our next CEO Alliance event is the recruiting and interviewing side. But they don't tend to do it when they're hiring subcontractors or freelancers. They tend to just go, oh, I'll take that referral, I'll hire them. Do you have a process for bringing those people in or for finding them or interviewing them before you just say, yes, start? You know, we, we do. Um, it's funny, the last contractor that we found, we were having an issue and we found an article online um, that was describing this process. And it was a very unusual, glitchy thing that had happened. And we reached out and uh, <laughs> this person helped us out. Like they just, they communicated with us directly as the author of this article. And we ended up hiring them um, for future projects. And it's been really incredible. And so the way we've gone about finding people, it's been unique. Uh, a bunch of our freelancers have actually been with us for several, several years, but we've had really good luck with um, our process. So having them, it's kind of a blend between the recruiting process and also the sales process. So having the independent contractor understand how you go about in your sales process, what we need from them, how we like to organize. Um, We're very flexible. So we utilize all types of platforms to what suits them as well. So if it's Slack, then it's Slack. If it was, you know, track ducks no longer, but if it's a different kind of software platform, um, we're very easy to work with. And so for us, it's being very, very clear too with, with what's expected, what we need from them. Mm. Um, and then just, just using them and then giving them feedback real time. So a lot of people just kind of deal with a freelancer. They either fail miserably or they don't live up to expectations and then they let it go versus trying to nurture that relationship and investing a little bit into it. Um, so it's kind of, important for us to keep nurturing those relationships and creating a good set of expectations and then a very reciprocal friendship back and forth. How about on the, um, on the companies hiring a marketing agency? What do you think companies do wrong when they're selecting a marketing agency? Ooh, well, that's, it's tough because it really depends on where the client is emotionally at the time, you know, when you're, let's say you're broken down on the side of the road, you will take any ride that comes along, right? You just need to get home. And so I think getting clients to think strategically about their future, you know, what, what is, what is it that you really want long-term? interviewing your agency as though they were going to become a part of your team or a partner, you know, being clear to what, what are they doing for you and how are they helping you make your life easier? Mm. Um, and do they really understand what you need to succeed in your role? So if it's a, you know, CMO with aspirations of being a CEO, how can we help you get there? Um, for if it's just someone who needs some really great, uh, on time, fast deliverables that are excellent. Okay, absolutely. You know, let's, let's do it. So I think, 
you know, they're just kind of either being told when they're not doing well, it's, I need help with, uh, with X, Y, and Z. Well, Hey, let's help you think a little bit more strategically about that long-term, um, you know, how to help your department do better, not just get this thing done for your, for your boss. It's interesting that you keep pushing back up to strategy too. I like that. How about, how about your firm? Do you guys, does String Can spend money on marketing and advertising? Absolutely. Where do you you spend? It's funny because there was an article that was done years ago. Um, I don't remember who put it out, but they interviewed, I don't know, the top 10 ad agencies in the US. And they said, you know, what percent of of revenue do you spend? And it was like 2%. And they're like, well, how come you're telling everyone to spend eight to 10 when you're only spending two? Um, it's like the cobbler's shoes. So, so what do you spend on? What does your firm spend your, your money on or your efforts on? We do all kinds of different things. So we love being our own guinea pigs and we actually are our own client. Um, so when we do projects, like for example, we redesigned our entire website last summer. Uh, we tracked it as though it was a client project. There were client weekly meetings um, there were reports done, so we test everything out on ourselves, and we are our own worst critic for sure. Mm. Um, it has to pass a very stringent test to get through the string can team. So, um, yeah, testing out all kinds of services, whatever's new, we're going to do it first um, to make sure that one, we've built a relationship if it's a new vendor, and then two, did it work or what did we learn from that? We definitely don't want our clients to be the guinea pigs for anything new. So we spend money on, um, you know, advertising traditional. Uh, we definitely do content of all types, lead magnets, um, SEO blogs. Um, we actually join a lot of local groups now. Um, Jay is a member of the PBJ trust. Um, part of it is, is getting is yourself the out PBJ, there and networking. What's the PBJ Trust. <laughs> the Phoenix Business Journal. Oh, um, I was like peanut butter and jelly time. Like, <laughs> that's, right. trust me, that's awesome. I love this. <laughs> right. I'm like, uh, we do have a lot of acronyms in this business for I was sure. Like, I everyone in the PBJ, your PBJ Trust, just smoking pot in the mornings and like hanging out in the afternoon. And like, <laughs> I'm a part of a group called Baby like Bathwater. Looking like a Canadian. Well, yeah, I'm a part of a group called Baby Bathwater, and it just sounded so similar all of a sudden. That's so sad that it's the Phoenix Business Journal. Baby Bathwater. What what do you have to tell? You should go. It's a really good event that is very focused on marketing, digital marketing, business development. Uh, It's 150 hand-selected individuals at the C-level, CEO or COO level. Um, It's held at a place called Eden, Utah, which is in, um, it's where Powder Mountain is. And it's the group that runs Summit Series and Summit at Sea. Um, And they have three days of learning. Everyone stays in chalets together. So there's like six attendees per chalet. So you wake up in the morning and you're hanging out and you're like t-shirt and shorts and chatting with each other, having coffee before you go off to the events. And the events are all held at different levels of the mountain during the day. So you hang out and they open up the hot tubs at noon and... And someone does spark up a joint at four and they have a Bloody Mary bar at 10. And some, you know, they're usually <laughs> around mushrooms or Molly in the evening and it's 150 CEOs just chilling, but totally getting deep on all things related to business and marketing. And it's amazing. It's a really solid group. That sounds like an excellent visionary retreat. Holy cow. (laughs) Well, it's also, it's amazing. Like I've got a number of members of our COO Alliance. So the second in commands that have gone to baby bathwater and they like it because they do get pretty tactical there. Um, And because the theme tends to be all things related to digital marketing, there's people there that are really getting kind of geeking out in their space more than than an entrepreneur event might be. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, 
how about the your growth? How have you had to, to scale? I mean, you came in as an EA and now you're you're running as a second in command. How have you had to grow your skills? You know, just doing what needs to get done. I uh, come from an entrepreneurial household. So my dad ran his own business my whole life. Mm. And I think just digging deep and getting it, getting shit done. Um, it's <laughs> really, it. if you see something that needs to get done, just do it. If you, you are never too high, too low to take out the trash, just, um, pitch in where it's needed and figure it out. So when I transitioned to full-time, I actually took on the content department, um, which I, I have, you know, great reading and writing and editing and skills. So it was a kind of a natural fit for me. Um, but then it was, okay, what else can I take on? How else can I develop the team? How else can I grow? And so I think thinking about how I can help others really forced me to look at the flaws that I had and where I was possibly failing them um, and to work on those things. And so my dad passed away last February and it was that uh, I was really rolling high. I was feeling like I crushed it. I was educating myself on a constant basis on anything, you name it, self-care, marketing, leadership. And it was a couple months after he'd passed where I thought, man, I need to, I need to dig deep here and I need help. Mm-hmm. And I hired Jane from Patterson Sports um, Ventures and she was my business coach and she's been an incredible help to me. And so I mm. think just going outside of myself. Um, and then I also worked with a mentor for my finance skills. So really honing those and getting to know uh, the CFO of another agency, Sandy, she really helped me out a ton. Mm. Um, and so, it, you know, just meeting other people, getting myself out there. I was never the one to go volunteer for an event this, if you'd asked me, you know, five years ago, sir, would you ever be on a podcast? I would laugh at you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk to people. That's crazy. I'm not going to go to an event and introduce myself. Um, so I think getting uncomfortable uh, was really helpful <laughs> to make myself grow. And I knew if I really wanted to be the best COO that I could be and they say that a lot about COOs that they don't aspire to be CEOs. And no, I find that don't. to be very true for myself. Yep, I love don't. being that second in command and helping Jay do whatever he needs to get done. And then I really thrive with the getting down into the nitty gritty and doing this stuff. Yeah. Like I the really CEO wants to talk about interviewing for 15 minutes. You want to talk about it for a day and maybe go into a second full day. <laughs> we've got, we've got members of our CEO Alliance from five countries and I can't think of, I don't think I can think of any of them that would ever want to be the entrepreneur. No, <laughs> but they want to, they want to work and build a great entrepreneurial organization, but they have no desire to be in that role. And, and I can't think of very many CEOs who are very good at the COO as well. They have to be, they have to be very, very, very strong operationally. And most aren't, uh, mm-hmm. nor, nor do they need to be right. Right. So what was the one I had? Oh, where do companies, where are companies making mistakes on marketing? Where are most companies, I mean, like, just stay in the small to medium-sized space. Where are most of them making mistakes marketing-wise right now? Ooh, you know, I think part of the, the right now during the COVID time, uh, turning it off or yeah, not adjusting their messaging. You know, that was, it's been, it's hard because who, who am I marketing to? Where am I spending this money? Cash is tight. 
Um, we totally get it. But the last thing you want to do is lose the momentum that you've worked really hard for because a lot of this stuff is delayed. You know, Google doesn't happen overnight. When you put an ad live, it is not magic. It's not a panacea. It's not going to solve everything overnight. It takes time. And so the issue with marketing is patience, um, <laughs> letting things do their job. So either turning off marketing entirely, which we have some pretty savvy, smart clients that ended up just adjusting their messaging or changing their direction or focusing on something else that maybe a project that they'd really wanted to get to, but didn't have time to. Um, and so that was pretty helpful for them. But the ones that just either unable to, or were told from a different department or a leader that, Hey, we just need to shut everything off. That's tough. That's a tough, um, like unless you're operationally shut down to shut down your marketing right now is really irresponsible because you can get it for free. I've got a client who spends 5 million a year in marketing um, and he went out to all of the um, bus, he was buying billboards and bus benches and radio and TV spots and digital. He's got between 30 to 80% more impressions for the same ad spend that he was spending three months ago. And as he put it, he goes, I'm going to be in business for the next 10 years. This is all about building brand and building flow. Why, why wouldn't I just keep spending it? So he's spending the same. Meanwhile, all of his competitors have either cut or gone to 50%. So he's now getting four to five times the amount of marketing and impressions that his competitors are. He's destroying them. It's that's incredible. Yeah, I just think it makes just a whole bunch of sense. Unless you're a company that's, you know, you shut down and you can't operate. Well, then, okay, it makes sense to maybe turn it off a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the other one is probably strategy, right? They just don't spend enough time thinking about where they're headed with their marketing. And so they're all over the place sporadically just spraying messages. Yeah, you know, and part of the strategy is where the opportunities, well, there's a million opportunities. There's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the, the game of golf. There's no perfect when it comes to marketing. Um, no perfect for me, not when I play. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just getting into it. And I think that's probably the best advice my husband's given I, me so far. <laughs> I almost got kicked. I was a member at Arizona Country Club and I think I almost got kicked off the course one day. They nicknamed me Pinball because I hit the same house three times with one shot. It ricocheted. It was like, bing, bing, bing. That's was, my worst fear. <laughs> uh, I was playing with the, y, the Young Presidents Organization, president of the organization and another couple members from YPO. And they just kind of looked at me and they nicknamed me Pinball. I was like, I was almost in tears. I'm like, get me off the course. I'm done with this game. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. How about um, a couple a couple final questions here. How about onboarding of people? What do you do in terms of bringing good people into the organization? I think you mentioned while we were recording that you hired somebody around February 14th and then you had to quickly switch to being remote. How did you onboard her and how do you typically onboard people into the organization? You know, our onboarding process gets better and better and a little longer and longer. <laughs> Um, so, you know, when I, when I started, I'd had a decent onboarding process. I think, yeah, there was, there was definitely some commitment there. Um, and it was, it's tough when you're busy and you're trying to go, 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 and then you got to pause and bring someone on. Yeah. And that's a little bit where we were, we were in the middle of transitioning departments, uh, me being the integrator full time and then bringing on, uh, Michelle and, I really worked hard on refining the process, what's valuable, what's useless, um, what's out of date, and getting her comfortable with the company and the culture, then getting her comfortable with the services, and understanding how her brain worked. Mm -hmm. So we use the, I think, um, predictable success model. Right. Uh, a couple people are familiar with it, um, but he has an assessment called the leadership assessment, and we have all 
people take that. Uh, it's like the second step of our recruiting process. Amazing. Sure. And I really wanted a processor brain in the organization. We don't have one in the organization. I'm a synergist operator and everyone else is a visionary. Um, and so I needed someone else to help balance out balance those out. four sure. types. Sure. So it was really hard. She was the only one that tested and I've never really fully committed to the results before I've taken them on and I've, okay, well, this is what we have, but I really wanted um, that processor brain. And so I organized the onboarding process to work with her brain and how she would interpret information, um, which is easy to do when you're onboarding one person at a time. But I can't imagine if you're doing multiple uh, people at a time, how that would, you probably have to really, uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd figure it out. I mean, as you scale, yeah. you start to iterate and figure it out. But what's interesting is just hearing how you process this information of the individual in their mind and how you onboard them based on that. There's not an entrepreneur on the planet that would either a think about doing that or b spend <laughs> the time on it. They just be like, yeah, if I can, I like them, bring them in. Yeah. You know, Sit her at her desk, turn on her computer. She'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the photocopier used to be. Um, yeah. I don't know where it is now. <laughs> well, I love personality profiles because I think you learn a lot about the individuals. We have everyone in our CO Alliance, we have them do a Colby profile on themselves and that talks about how you start projects. And then we also have them do a Colby profile on the entrepreneur so that they learn how to communicate and work well together. And I think any personality profile you do just teaches you more about the other individuals and how to work together and collaborate together and, and how to learn about yourself so you can communicate that way too. You don't want to change the person so much as leverage them and, and collaborate better. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, using the assessments and understanding not just, it's not just about you and having everyone else work their way around you and what your brain looks like. Totally. I think for me, that was big because everyone else has a very similar thought process. You know, they're all visionaries on that model. And so I really wanted her to feel successful and not feel like I don't understand what's going on in this organization. And then checking in with her constantly. So I really spent every minute I possibly could the first uh, week with her. And we always start people on Wednesdays so that they don't feel overwhelmed um, by the process. They have plenty of time to process what's happened um, in the first couple of days. I make sure that they have a computer Perfect. with everything set up, their name, their, their printer. All they have to do is log in and I teach them how to use the software, um, or, which is JIRA we use for our project management system. Yeah. And so it's just continuously practicing and honing and you sit there with me and I will show you. And then the next week it's um, you show me. And so being the teacher is one of the best ways to get people to really understand processes and Hey, how can you make this better? It's constantly, mm -hmm. what, what do you want to do differently? And then um, she's given us some amazing feedback in her 3060. We haven't even had her 90 day yet, but she's given us some great feedback and feels very comfortable in letting us know what's um, to improve about the process and what's going well. So Great. You guys are operating really nicely at this, at this stage. You're going to scale really well. I, I coached a digital marketing agency in um, New York called the Lead SEM, and they had about 30 employees when I started coaching them. They had about 300 when we stopped. And they're very similar to you guys where they, they were putting the operational best practices in at, a, at an early stage where it sometimes felt painful to be putting them in place, like running 30, 60, 90s with people, but so powerful what comes out of that. It's really, really, really strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So final question, if we were to go back to your kind of 21, 22 year old self and you wanted to give yourself some advice on your career, what, what leadership or business advice would you give yourself that you know to be true now, but you probably didn't know when you were 21 or 22? 
Oh man. You know, one of the most valuable things I do now is really focus. So part of the, um, the COO mentality is that there are a million things commanding your attention and you want to tackle all of them. And so I bought myself a full focus planner. I think I've had it for this, my third quarter now, and it's been one of the most valuable tools in my arsenal. And if I'd have had that in my early twenties, it really would help me feel accomplished uh, because it's not 20 things on a task list. It's really big focus items that are driving the needle. Um, and then celebrating those wins. You know, hey, here are actual tangible things that I did to move the needle this week. And I feel really good about that. Um, and then just kind of reveling in, <laughs> in the success that you have versus focusing on the things that you didn't do well or you wish you would have done better. I'm notorious for beating myself up and I'm really trying to focus on the things that I do well. And I just did a Michael Hyatt training this morning. And one of his first things is take some time to celebrate those wins. Feel good about um, the things that you've done well. I always talk about that if you're driving a car and you're driving to try to get to the horizon, if you're only going to be happy when you get to the horizon, you'll never be happy you've always got to look in the rearview mirror and see how far you've just come and kind of take satisfaction in what you've just covered and still keep driving. It's like, I always want to keep improving. I always want to keep growing, but yeah, you got to praise yourself for all the stuff and, and praise the company. Sarah Shepard, the second in command for <laughs> string can interactive. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Really, really appreciate the time. Oh, thanks Cameron. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. You've been listening to second in command. Brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.